CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. It's Friday and it's time for Options Action. I'm Melissa Lee, live at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Here's what's coming up. First up, taking cues from the QQQs. Carter Worth looks at how things are lining up for the tech sector and why that alone might mean you're in for a wait. Then, did you know the term biotechnology was first coined in 1919? It's been a long time since then, but now Tony Zhang thinks the time is right to lay out a long-time play in the sector. Finally, this week's announcement of the tapping of the Strategic Petroleum Reserve has all sorts of theories flying. But the oil complex is just that. Complex. Before you slide on that slick, Professor Cole helps you navigate the nuances. It's time to risk less to make more. Options action starts right now. Let's get right to it. The Nasdaq started off the second quarter on a more positive note than it ended that first one. But one trading session does not a quarter make. Carter Worth lays out his prospects for big tech. Carter, what do you see? Well, what's so fascinating, of course, is this is where all the innovation is. If you look at the Nasdaq 100, all the growth, it's what dominates the S&P. And, of course, it was the winner on the way up and it's been the loser on the way down Uh, Let's look at the charts. So the first chart is just the standard two-year default, if you will, with the automated trend line, the smoothing mechanism, the 150-day moving average. And in principle, when your trend line is rising, you're an uptrend. And when it's not rising, you're not in an uptrend. Pretty straightforward. What do we know? A great ascent, a break in trend, and a big one dropping 22% from that high on November 22nd, peaking before the S&P, it's low on March 14th, and now a 17% ricochet. But the ricochet is faltering, and where is it faltering? To the penny at the 150-day moving average. So second chart is a longer term, uh, but the same principle. And this is what is slightly different than the last two times when we broke trend. When we undercut the 150-day moving average in 2018 and then reapproached it, we went right through it and recovered. And same, the COVID plunge, and we went right back through it. But this time, we're struggling at it. And that is a, a, a very big difference. Final chart for the Qs. This is the entire 2009-2020-22 bull market. It's a mathematically perfect 45-degree angle. And what we know is we blew out through the top of the channel, excess, and we've now fallen back into the channel and we've rallied. The problem is when you drop 22% and then you ricochet 17, the math leaves you only halfway back. We've retraced only half of our drop and ultimately I don't think the drop is likely at an end. All right. So bearish, Mike, you've got a bearish trade. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You asked me on Monday after Apple had announced that they were going to be reducing production of the iPhone SE, which was a relatively recent uh, release. And they were talking about less, you know, lower than expected demand, whether I thought that was uh, an opportunity to sell Apple. And I thought it was a data point 
But I pointed out that we didn't see necessarily migration away from Apple in terms of its market share. This wasn't necessarily a situation that we should uh, be out selling Apple. It's also a lower margin device, arguably. But then later in the week, and we haven't had an opportunity to speak since then, Taiwan Semi, which gets almost 26 percent of its revenues from Apple, also came out with uh, disappointing news on, on that front and started talking specifically about slackening demand for smartphones in China, weaker than expected PC demand, uh, continued pressure essentially in the supply chain on costs, which they eventually imagined would be passed on to consumers. Now we have two data points, and I've kind of changed my tune on this. The two biggest constituents of the NASDAQ 100 in order are Apple and Microsoft, and collectively, they represent about 22.5% of the index. And if we start seeing basically broad global slackening of demand for both smartphones and PCs, and of course the potential to see some push through of increased costs through the supply chain eventually to customers, who by the way, we saw some data this week, might be spending about $5,200 more on the average US household year on year due to inflation alone. These things start adding up over time. And so to me, uh, I actually do think that maybe this is the time that you're going to want to start reducing your exposure. I was looking out to June in the QQQs, which is the proxy for the NASDAQ 100, the 360-320 put spread. That was about $10. So we'd be spending about a quarter of the distance between the strikes. We cite that a lot, but maybe we can sort of put some other numbers to it to give it some context. That means that if it falls 2.8%, you're going to be breaking even as of June expiration. If it falls uh, about 11% or so, you're going to capture about 8% back in terms of the value that you're going to get from this. So it's going to mitigate a pretty significant portion of a decline should you get one down around 10 to 12%. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen, but as a hedge, or if you happen to think that maybe you know, we've run out of room to the upside, I kind of feel like we have, this would be a way to play it. Tony, your take? Yeah, so when you take a look at the QQQ, uh, the rejection here the, earlier this week at that 370 level is critical. And this is really where we start lightening, lightening up on some of our long exposure and started adding to our short exposure in names like Apple and Microsoft earlier this week. So I think the timing on this hedge is quite good, especially if you consider as an options trader, this type of marking condition allows you to not only uh, use uh, strategies like Mike is laying out here with the put debit spread to buy some protection, you could also mitigate the risk of that even further by looking at selling some upside calls, especially when you're trading against that 150-day moving average from Carter's charts. You can get quite aggressive with selling cover calls in this type of market environment and use the premium from that to buy the put hedges as Mike has laid out. And if you look at the industries within the technology sector, pretty much across the board, you look at semis, you look at computer hardware and software uh, firms. Even payment firms like Buy Now, Pay Later that we discussed briefly last week, you know, these are all industries that are starting to either roll over or we've already seen them roll over. So, uh, again, the timing on this particular trade, I think, is better than the put hedge that I put on a few weeks ago. But the fact that Mike is able to go all the way out to June and buy a put spread, giving him downside protection of about 11 percent for under 3 percent of the value of a QQQ ETF, I think speaks to just the, the great timing on this particular trade. The only thing I would do is add some upside calls that I would sell in addition to that to also further bring in the cost of that put hedge. 
Mike, you mentioned that this could be used as a hedge against a long position. I'm wondering, you, you, you cited Apple specifically at the top. There's some concerns surrounding Apple that J.P. Morgan highlighted today in its note when it took Apple off the focus list. If you have a big position in Apple, how does the cost of putting on this type of hedge compare to putting on an Apple-specific hedge? Uh, yeah, that's, that's really an excellent question. Now, Apple... And Microsoft, too, to be frank. You know, these are two names that aren't particularly high volatility names relative to some other technology stocks. So the options premiums in those specific names are not going to be quite as expensive. So if you're looking at higher flyer types of names, Netflix would be an example. Tesla would be an example. This would be a kind of trade which would be better suited to you. If all you happen to have is Apple, though, a very similar structure would probably make a good amount of sense. Same thing for Microsoft. And it's not going to cost you that much more, really, because those aren't particularly high implied volatilities. All right, let's switch gears here. Check out the XBI Biotech ETF dropping nearly 17% since January. The group now down 32% over the past year. But Tony sees a long-term breakout brewing in the biotech space. A lot of investors really want to hear this one, Tony. How are you playing it? Yeah, I think we've seen a bit of a constructive bottom here in biotech. So if we take a look at a few charts here, the first one, what we see here is that biotech, XBI, the ETF, has has declined by more than 50% over the past year or so. But recently, over the past two months, we've completed this bottoming formation, or what you would call an inverted head and shoulders. And that really targets as far as 118 to the upside. And then if we look at the lines slightly differently, the next chart here, what you see is this downtrend that XBI has currently been in. What we've seen is that we've broken above that downtrend or that trend line. And that really signals the potential timing here for a a, a constructive bottom here for for, uh, biotech. And then lastly, if we look at biotech relative to the market, uh, SPY in this particular case, over the past year, this is the underperformance. And what we've seen here is that the relative performance here has not continued to decline over the past two months as we've completed this bottoming formation. And it touched this trend line, as Carter would say, to the penny. And this is the opportunity that I see as a potential breakout here relative to the market. And we've already seen the absolute breakout here to the upside. And this is really where the timing uh, for me is is critical for a, a move here in biotech. But the tricky part here, I think right now is the fact that Options, volu- options implied volatility is quite expensive. So if you go out there and buy a call or a call spread, it's going to cost you quite a bit. And with a name, with an ETF like XBI, you don't have a catalyst necessarily on the horizon. So it's hard to time a, a breakout, if you will. So for this particular trade, I'm choosing to sell options instead. I'm going out to the May 13th. I'm selling the 90, uh, 92 and 85 and a half put vertical here, selling the 92 and a half for about $4.58 and then paying about $2.04 for the 85 and a half puts. And this this reduces my downside risk if XBI continues to move lower and I'm collecting about 37% of the width. And I just want to lay out here, this is just the start of a longer term bullish view here in, in biotech. If this trade continues to uh, remain constructive and profitable, this is where I'm going to roll some of the profits from this short put spread into buying some call spreads as this trade, uh, especially as XBI starts to break out and, and move higher. Carter, what do you see in the charts? I see exactly that, meaning uh, speak for me, Tony, that, or speak for yourself. Of course, you don't need me to chart for you. That is exactly what is going on exactly as Tony's characterized it. And also there's this, remember, the XBI, of course, is pretty close to equal weighted. 
And what's starting to happen is if you compare the XBI, which is the spider uh, ETF, versus the IBB, which is the iShares, the XBI, which is equal weight, is actually starting to outperform the IBB, which is more heavily weighted to things like Amgen, Gilead, and Regeneron. So that, too, speaks to breadth uh, in terms of number of stocks participating. It is the textbook beginning of what should be an important bottom. All right. So uh, so Mike Carter's given Tony his blessing. How about you? Yeah, I, I will, too. And one of the things that Tony said is really important, and that is that when you're looking at strategies where you're collecting premium, you're trying to benefit from decay. These are investment strategies. So don't think of this as a one and done trade. But as he suggested, you know, once you have done this, once you start to see the momentum build, you're going to be doing more trades essentially to maintain your thesis and maintain that investment strategy. All right. For everything Options Action, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Here's what's coming up next. Still to come. This week, the president announced the largest ever tapping of the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. Few know better than Professor Coe what that really means. A former oil trader himself, he has a strategic plan for you to capitalize on it. Plus, calling all Options Action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. This week, President Biden announced the largest ever release of oil from the nation's strategic petroleum reserve. While most Americans should benefit from lower gas prices, investors could benefit even more. Professor Coe explains. Mike. Yeah, so this release, of course, was then added to later in the week. We had Canada, Mexico, Japan and South Korea and obviously those European countries that have oil reserves as well saying, of course, that they were going to be releasing from their strategic reserves additionally. Now, it's, I think, important for us to think about what the implications are for the oil markets, because when we talk about oil, we usually think about it as a single price, like $100 a barrel. But actually, it matters. Where is that oil being delivered? And when is it going to be delivered? Future prices for oil often differ markedly from the current spot price of oil. So when you start releasing from the reserve like this, what you're doing is you're significantly increasing near-term supply. But assuming that you're eventually going to replace those reserves over time, you increase longer-term demand. What we have right now in the futures market is a serious case of backwardation. That is to say that the spot market for oil and the near-term futures are trading significantly higher than the longer-dated futures. But what is interesting, too, is that when we think about energy companies, energy stocks tied to oil, they are often even more closely correlated to the longer-term price of oil than they are for the short-term price. And we saw that this week because what happened? The near-dated prices for oil fell, longer-dated prices rose. And what happened to XLE today? It rose. So, Carter, what did the charts tell you? All right, let's look at the crude chart and then single out Halliburton for fun. So crude itself, what we know is, of course, we have something of a blow off on the front uh, front contract. In six sessions, essentially, we went from 
$90 a barrel to 130, 45% in six days. News related, of course, Ukraine. And then it collapsed back to essentially 9900 and we're sitting here. My hunch is that we fall back into this formation, the formation that preceded the blow off. Um, but Halliburton, which is a longer cycle kind of thing, let's talk about it. This is a comparative chart, all data, Halliburton versus the energy sector. It is basically up half as much, trailing considerably. And yet, and this is important, it's starting to outperform. Let's look at a few here and now charts. The first, this is over the past three years, the downtrend is clearly come and gone. You can see no longer in a downtrend. Next chart, what are we? We're in an uptrend. There's the channel. Now, we are a bit above the channel, so a little backing and filling is perfectly normal. And if you see where we are on the final chart, this shows um, the 150-day moving average, and I guess one more, where the overhead supply is. And so we've recovered to a level where there is sort of memory, people who bought poorly who are now just now getting their money back. And so there's nothing wrong with backing and filling here. But for Halliburton itself, it's so far below its all-time highs, up in the 70s. The stock's only 39.40. Uh, we like this compared to most energy stocks. All right. So, Mike, what's your trade on HAL? Yeah, so people who have watched this show for a length of time probably know that I've liked Halliburton for a long time. I'm actually a long-term holder of the stock. And actually, before the news about the SPR releases came out earlier this week, I actually paired my long equity position. I sold about 40% of it. And then I started writing some upside calls against it and selling some downside puts against it. The idea being that if it rallied considerably more, I'd be willing to sell it at those higher prices. If it sits right here, I wanted to collect some premium. But if it starts to descend again, because I am a long-term holder, I would start adding back some of my positions through those short puts. Here's the thing, though. If you don't happen to hold uh, Halliburton shares yourself, how might you use options to get a position that looks a little bit like the one that I hold? And what I was looking at was the May 35, 39, 42 call spread risk reversal. When I was looking at this earlier today, those May 39 calls cost about two and a half bucks. And the 35 puts and the 42 calls could each be sold for about a buck and a quarter. Net net, you'd be laying out essentially no premium. You would have participation from here up to that short call strike. So you'd get um, you know, probably about 8% to the upside between now and May. And then, of course, if the stock does fall, you would actually be put the stock at that lower strike price. But that, too, is going to represent a fairly good size discount, maybe 10% or so from where the stock was trading when I was taking a look at this. And that position is actually remarkably similar to the one I essentially legged into with my long stock position. Tony, do you like this trade structure? So this structure is quite interesting, a call spread risk reversal. You're, you know, you're really basically buying an upside call spread, in this particular case about an 8% upside call spread. But normally you'd have to pay about 3 to 5% of the stock's value in order to do so. Here you're effectively getting that call spread for free by selling that downside put. So what you're doing is you're adding the obligation of buying that stock at $35 to get this call spread for free. Now, I like this type of trade structure, but I personally am not a buyer of Halliburton at 35. So I would just look at buying the call spread. Halliburton's outperforming its sector. I think you have some momentum here. I would just buy the call spread. I would personally not take on the risk of buying the stock at 35 by selling that downside put. All right. Up next, we are taking a look back on a semi-stock trade from last week. If you missed your chance to cash in right after, how should you play the chip maker now? Do not go anywhere. More options action in two.
Welcome back to Options Action. Last week, Carter and Mike laid out a way to play Micron. In the year 2000, the company earned $2.63. Last year, it earned $7.20. And consensus is that it earns $9.20 next year. So it's where it was 22 years ago when it earned $2.60, and it's projected to earn $9.20 in the next 12 months. Let's play for a breakout. So I was looking out to July. The closest I could find at the money call option was the 77 and a half calls. I was looking at those and then looking to sell the April 85 calls against it. Stock made a big jump, but then turned around. So, Mike, what do you do? Yeah, this is an interesting one. And if you don't follow uh, me or Carter on Twitter, I encourage you to do so, because we actually sent out a tweet about this trade after we convened the results seemed pretty good, and the stock performed very well right away, obviously significantly outperforming the market. But then it started to underperform the market and felt very heavy. On Thursday, I was talking to Carter about it and said, you know, it doesn't feel like this is something where people are trying to buy this news. Instead, they're trying to use any kind of a bid that they could find in the stock as an opportunity to sell it. We still had a little bit of profits left in that calendar spread, and so we actually recommended taking it off for the modest profits that we were seeing on Thursday. Still, that remains true on Thursday, remains true today, and it'll remain true on Monday as well. I think we can sell this one and move on. All right. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first tweet is for Tony. Is the thesis on last week's PepsiCo call credit spread intact? Tony, what do you say? Yeah, so one of the benefits of using charts is you know when you're wrong fairly quickly. So because time is still on my side, I'm inclined to only close half my position here and leave the other half because the fundamental thesis here is still intact. All right, time now for the final call. Carter, what do you say? Trim or hedge your cues and put some of it into Newmont Mining. Tony. Establishing a position in biotech, selling a put vertical spread. Mike Coe. Q put spreads to hedge your exposure to tech, and you can use call spread riskies in Halliburton. All right, that does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Meantime, do not go anywhere. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.